Here we go. We're live. We're doing it. Never First been time. On, never been on live TV before. Apparently, I've never been on live television. I watch my grandfather when he watches the news and watches the Powerball. <laughs> that kid's a legend. Spinning around. Sorry, I can I can quote that whole YouTube video. <laughs> if y'all are listening to this and you haven't heard the Apparently Kid video, you need to watch it on YouTube. It's worth it. Do we have like a? I don't really know how this works. I think I think we can have a comment section and like a a links section. Maybe we should link that video down below. But once you hear it, if you ever go on live TV or you're like on a podcast or on a camera, it's impossible not to say it. Oh yeah! It's Every time you hear the word "apparently," it. yeah, it's it's what pops into my head for sure. <laughs> well, what do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I guess I want to talk about the crap I've been dealing with the last hour just okay. which is just everyday stuff that happens with the the urban hunting or suburban hunting or just having permission on hundreds of places and having to manage all this stuff but let's let's get to that I, yeah that's what i'm saying Second. i want to get to that i first want to of all preface this though why yeah this is our first attempt at a podcast correct and i have zero agenda for this conversation and I kind of feel like we're jumping on the bandwagon here with the whole podcast thing because it seems like everyone's doing it now. But I want to kind of make it clear. Well, honestly, I have no idea where we're going to go with this. But the thought came into my mind, into my brain waves, because we have so many uh, pieces of the stories and hunts that we go on that are impossible to tell in the videos. And I just wanted a, a way to, I guess, like tell more of the story, give more of the background and kind of give a an inside look at like what happens behind the scenes. Yeah, because like you're only getting a glimpse of yeah the video people are watching. It is literally just a frac like a fraction of the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And it's because you can't have like a five hour video that is boring when you're right. just repeatedly knocking on doors or you know whatever it is. But yeah, our production style we're we're trying to tell these stories in like a cinematic way, and we don't want these long dialogue segments that go into the little details of each story. But there's like really important stuff that happens and a bunch of learning moments, funny stuff, and just stuff that like we can explain it in a lot more depth that would be useful for someone else that's trying to learn or whatever, that this is like the perfect medium for that. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of learning experiences here. I th and honestly, like I've kind of realized this because we've done, I don't know, three or four other podcasts with other people and it's like, we end up talking about stories and stuff that happens that, again, we're just scratching the surface. I, I mean, we've how many times has, have, has the phrase been said, we could talk about this for hours? Yeah. On talking about like one little tiny topic of the podcast, whatever we're discussing. And it's like, because we have a treasure trove of just stories from 15, 16 years of hunting in, an, in a suburban environment in Atlanta and Nashville and all these cities mm -hmm. and it's like I feel like now we can finally open that treasure chest of just stories that you wouldn't normally get yeah so I guess like the the initial plan with this whole thing was to kind of do like an after the hunt podcast so if we go out on a trip say we're hunting Nashville and literally like as soon as we get back we just hop on a podcast talk about everything that happened kind of the stuff leading up to that hunt why we set up where we did, how we got the permission, the whole nine yards, and just talk about it. 
but like I'm not I don't know where this is going to go. There's so many different things we can talk about. So many things that like I wish people could see that have happened over the last 15 years that need to be talked about. And one of those things I don't know if you're open to talking about it. <laughs> There's so many <laughs> so many things that I I'm pondering in my head that you're going to say right now, but so Let's I see think which people road you really, go. really would love to hear about it. And I would love to get one of these people on the podcast, which is probably never going to happen, but the poaching situation that we've been dealing with in Atlanta. <laughs> and I, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Well, that's just, I, I kind of write a bunch of notes down on my phone. I got some stuff written out on what we can kind of talk about, but that was one of them that I think is, uh, can be pretty interesting. And one of the little, I guess, projects that I want to kind of put on my plate over probably this off season during the summertime, but, um, is kind of figuring out how to reform some of the game laws. And honestly, it's more the, the court system here in Atlanta specifically. Yeah. I mean, they're dealing with, it's Atlanta. I mean, they're dealing with like gang related violence, murders, armed robberies. Like it's wild out here in Atlanta these days. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, do we want to go down this road now? No, I don't, think, do you, we, I don't think we get okay. too deep into it. I'm, okay, just, well, I'm well. just saying, like, uh, this is starting out as an after-the-hunt podcast. And I don't, like, I say we're jumping on the bandwagon. I don't want to feel like we're jumping on the bandwagon and just, like, doing what a, a Wired to Hunt's done or, like, a Meat Eater's done and having different people on. But, like, it could morph into that at some point because we, we get yeah. to meet a ton of cool people yeah. on the hunts that we go on. I don't, I don't think this... I don't know. I guess we'll see where it goes, but I don't, I don't know if this is something where like, yeah, we have a podcast, like, you know, and I just, I just think it's an opportunity for us to kind of talk, share stories and, uh, that, that don't make it into our videos. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if we have some, we meet some cool people and if we have someone that jumps on, sure. But I don't know, we don't have really any sort of plan. Just kind of have fun with it. I know Thomas, our camera guy, Thomas, I don't know if, uh, Many of y'all know him or have seen him in some of our videos, but he is country. We need to get him to do a an intro for the podcast, hundred percent, and just the most like Trace Adkins. But he's a voice perfect accent. Yeah, he's a perfect <laughs> accent to uh, our group because, like, I mean, dude, we're from the city. Like, we're from we grew up in Atlanta. Thomas is like country. And so he may be on the podcast uh, pretty regular as like a you know co-host kind of deal. Um, I think he'd have some really good input. He, we also just like have a really good time with him. He's funny and he'll make some for some good laughs. So he's, yep. he may be someone that's on here kind of consistent, but what's funny is, and we can talk about this more kind of, I think we can kind of give an update on like our season and, and where we're at with Sequan and kind of the things we have going on. But one of the things is we're trying to expand the team a little bit, mostly behind the scenes, but we're also kind of looking for more people that are going to be in front of the camera. And one of the guys that we're talking to, well, one of them's Thomas. Um, we're hoping that he can get on camera a little bit. And like Lee said, he has the most rich, thick Southern accent you can possibly, thicker, possibly thicker, imagine. Thicker than oatmeal. <laughs> but the other guy that I talked to yesterday, and I'm not going to mention his name because I have, I have no idea if he's going to join us or not, but he's got a, uh, I guess, a Northeastern accent. And it would be a hilarious combination of like two city accents, a deep South accent and some <laughs> like cover the Northeastern Yankee accent. <laughs> yeah. We can have, a, I, I, uh, when I went hunting in North Dakota, 
they're like on the border of Canada. So like they straight up talk like Canadians. Jace is my buddy up there and I actually may go back and hunt with him. Uh, he's got some deer showing up and I still have an active license up there. And, but I'm, I rip on him all the time about his Canadian accent. He, it, it just, I just, I'm so obnoxious with it every time I talk to him <laughs> that he's just like, Lee, so you're going to stop it. Eh? <laughs> so, you know, we, uh, you guys may have seen this, but we posted on Instagram recently looking for, we're looking for cameramen. And one of the guys that sent in an application who is by, by far the most like legit guy that has sent in an application so far is from Canada. And I, he's got a YouTube channel and I watched some of his, a couple of his videos, just going to see what he's like, but he's got like a, a thick Canadian accent. So that would be like another, oh, that'd be hilarious. Another just like melting pot of accents. In there's the, a, there's the a, you're telling me there's a guy from Canada that's willing to move to Atlanta to work. That's with what us. he said. I don't I, we need to. Ha- I haven't talked to him on the phone. We've just texted back and forth, but he's, biggest uh, mistake of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going through his head, but I think uh, I think he'd be a good addition, dude. He might be able to help with that giant deer I sent you a picture of from Alberta. Maybe he could be an outfitter. I, I mean, oh, maybe. There's I don't know. There's got to be a way to do that. I would love to. <clears throat> I think it'd be really cool to knock on doors in another country, Canada, and. There was a picture going around on social media right now of a freaking giant deer. And it even crossed my mind because I wasn't familiar with their laws. But even if I went up there, knocked on a door, got permission, I wouldn't legally as a U.S. citizen be able to hunt there without a guide or an outfitter, right? Yeah, that's my understanding. I don't know like, I don't know if that's on, well, it's definitely on private property. I don't know exactly how it works. I, we got to dig into that more because I want to figure that out. I know Canada is strict. I mean, I'd love even, to kill some Canadians. Can't even like own a gun there. I don't think. Well, I ain't or never. maybe a handgun or something. I don't yeah. know. But uh, anyways. So yeah, we have no agenda. Have you before we start? Well, I guess we've already started. But have I shown you the uh, the processing setup in my garage? No. Dang. That's pretty slick. Yeah, I'm. Uh, so. Kind of long story short, we, it seems like there's, well, we know there's a ton more hunting pressure here in Atlanta than there's been in, in the past. And this is the first year that we've had issues with like processors even taking in deer. Cause we've been trying to get the, uh, the venison project started, which is a nonprofit that we kind of started. It's essentially the same thing as hunters for the hungry, trying to get processors on board to do like a, a doe day where we can get a bunch of people to shoot does and then we'll pay for the processing and donate them to homeless shelters and uh, ministries in Atlanta. But literally every processor close to Atlanta is full right now and they've been full for a while. And so I, uh, I've been wanting to do that, like learn how to do this for a long time. Um, just processing our own deer. And so I reached out to the company made with meat, which is kind of an, I, I think it's a newer company. I, I kind of started seeing them in the last like couple years, but they essentially took like industrial, uh, processing equipment, gr- meat grinders, sausage makers, meat mixers, um, things like that and kind of built like a hunting brand around it. And so I just sent them a, a DM on Instagram. I was like, Hey, here's the situation. I, 
like our processors are full. Hey, send us some stuff and we'll talk about you on our first podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, no, literally, I was like, I, I had no idea if they would respond. I was like, hey, if you want to send us some stuff, I'll, we'll post on Instagram, put you in our videos a little bit because we're kind of turning our garage into a processor. And literally like two days later, I had just a lot, a lot of money's worth of <laughs> processing equipment sitting in my driveway. <laughs> like I got a dehydrator for uh, venison jerky, got the grinder. Dude, which, I love venison jerky. And, yeah. And, it, and like, it's hard to find a processor that takes the time to make it. Mm-hmm. So I've always been wanting to make my own. That fart smells terrible. One that you just yeah. let go, or like a no, I just, beef, I just, or like a no, venison I just, jerky. No, part. I just farted, and it, I'm smelling it. It's bad. I don't even like it. Everybody likes their own brand too. Wow. Okay. Well, so is that how this podcast is? Yeah. Be? Yeah. It's exactly how this podcast is going to go. Do we go back and edit stuff out of this? No. No. <laughs> I, I want to spend zero time editing. I do. I've already spent enough time editing. I don't videos, think we edit so. anything. I think we just let it rip. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, obviously, like, like did. yeah, I mean, yes, perfectly. And then, like, I the only thing I would say that we would ever edit is if I accidentally said, like, a road name of a place I was hunting or, like, something that clued someone into, like, where we were hunting or just, I don't know. Some like sort Alberta, of, Canada or something? Well, Alberta is pretty vague. Um, <laughs> I didn't specifically didn't say the city. but Or that's not even a city. That's probably, I mean, Calgary is what I meant. Dude. It's a giant city. I don't care, man. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> oh, man. So, anyways, yeah, if there's, like, some secret information like that that we don't want out there that we accidentally say. I, that, that'd be the only time I'd say that we edit anything, but... Yeah. Uh, no, otherwise, i say we just let it rip. Make it simple. But... So, anyways, got a rich processor set up in my garage now. I got... I've been laying down the does because I cannot find a buck in Atlanta right now. So uh, just kind of trying to fill my doe tags at this point. Um, I got some, I got two deers worth of quarters stacked up in my refrigerator in my garage right now that I need to process. And I'm, try, I'm trying to find like some pork fat and beef fat to mix in with it. So I've been calling around to like different KGM grocery company. stores. Yeah, I hadn't called them yet. I need to. I'm sure they got plenty of it. Yeah. You want to hear the crap I'm dealing with right now? Yeah. You do? Yeah, go into it. Okay. Well, so Drew Drew came into my house and was like, dude, I've been dealing with a bunch of crap. I was like, but we're doing a podcast, so I'm not going to talk about it until we get on the podcast and talk about it. So (sighs) Drew and I have never paid. I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this out there. We have never paid a single dollar bill for any hunting permission that we have ever acquired of any of the door knocking, any of that stuff, never paid a single dollar ever. And, uh, I don't really know where I was going with that, but anyways, <laughs> we've been doing this for, we bit. might soon though. If we get a lease property, I mean, I, yeah. I, yeah, I'm open to something like that. But like, as far as knocking on doors and getting permission, like we've never had to pay a dollar to get permission anywhere. Yeah. And, Doing this for 15, 16 years, one of the biggest, I don't know if you call it burdens or just like part of the part of the process, the work of it is managing, if you want to keep these properties, keep the permission, is managing the landowners and maintaining a relationship, a friendship, uh, 
to keep permission there. And when you're getting permission on hundreds or have permission on hundreds of places, sooner or later, you're going to run into issues with neighbors that are not happy or, you know, someone finding out you're hunting somewhere and they try to get your permission revoked or this, that, and the other. Like it happens all the time. It's a constant battle. Constant battle happens all the time. And I'm hunting behind, I have a permission to hunt in Tennessee on an apartment complex right now. And, you know, spent, spent, got the right meetings, spent a lot of time, spoke to the right people, got permission to be there. They were excited for me to be there. Uh, they were having issues with people that were trespassing back there. I found a bunch of deer stands, a bunch of cameras. The first time I even hunted in there, some dude slipped in from a highway and slipped in on us. We filmed the guy, uh, while we were hunting. Whatever happened with that? I, I ran after him and he just like gone, just poof, gone. I don't know where he went. I have no idea. Um, but anyways, like since I've been in there, I've been able to kind of shut that down, like monitor the, you know, a place like that can't have this massive liability of having whoever they want, like just people they don't know going back there with a bow or a gun or whatever. Uh, and so they were like super appreciative, like to have someone monitor the property, like keep an eye on it. I'm, I'm friends with the game wardens there and you know, keeping the game wardens in the loop with what's going on. Well, so my point is that like, I'm, I'm doing a good job for this apartment complex. They're happy. I'm there. I'm, you know, going through the process correctly and somehow, some way or another, I don't know how, but a neighbor like a half a mile away finds out that I am hunting there and flipped out, like has been calling and complaining the apartment complex, like blowing this whole deal up, going to the management company and being like, you know, how could you let someone hunt back there? You know, blah, 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 blah. Like these creatures are majestic. How could you, how dare you like let someone hunt, you know? They're, you know, just, just like blowing this whole deal up. And so the reason I was late getting to your house is, uh, because I was having to talk on the phone and dealing with this lady for like the, the, the property management company and talking to the lady for 30 minutes, just kind of like, you know, making sure that I still have permission there. Cause dude, I'm after 160 inch deer in there. Like currently. What is, what is the apartment complex manager saying? Did you have to like win her back? Not really. I mean, like sorta. She was just kind of like, I guess, looking for clarity um, or just assur- assurance that, like, um, you know, I, that because she was like, oh, well, they said they've contacted someone in the TWRA system and complained about this thing, and like we're worried that it's this issue. And I, I basically had to tell her, be like, look, it's not an issue. I also contact have contacts with the TWRA I know exactly who the person is they're talked to I'll call him as soon as we hang up and get this thing squashed but like what you allow on your property has nothing to do yeah you're not breaking with them. a law you're not they, breaking you're law. not breaking a law they don't care what, what you do on your property who you allow on your property has nothing to do with anybody else you guys can do whatever you want on your property and I even took it as far when I was talking to the game where I said like this stuff just it chaps my can I say yeah, it chaps my ass. It <laughs> pisses me off that like someone goes that far out of the way to intervene and try and revoke, you know, get someone's permit hunting permission revoked. There are laws in place that I, and I would have to do more research to figure this out, but there are laws in place. It's like hunter harassment. It's hunter harassment. You cannot interfere with the legally and lawfully taking of wildlife. Does getting someone's permission revoked technically fall under 
the layer of or the umbrella of interfering with the lawfully taking of wildlife? I, I don't know the answer to that. I think it would probably be more like sabotage. Like if if that landowner were to come onto the apartment complex property and like put hair, human hair, like around your stand or something like that. I don't know because like this game warden says, uh, he said that they would have have to do something intentionally on interrupting or interfering with the lawful person hunting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like getting my permission revoked is interfering with me hunting like so i guess we could we could make the argument that maybe this is a tactic we start using we knock on a door we go through our pitch and ask for hunting permission and then if they say no we just say well you're actually breaking the law you're interfering with my lawful taking of wildlife but not giving me permission i mean that's twisting it (laughs) (laughs) heavily twisting it But you can take all, anything to court these days, so. Yeah, I mean, you can sue anything for anybody for anything, but, like, that's the stuff that is just, I, I mean, I was planning on heading there tomorrow morning, and the night before I leave, I, dude, I've been hunting there for the last week and a half. I had an encounter with a 160-inch deer, big drop time, and I'm like, dead set, I'm going back. Showed, he showed up this morning in daylight, you know, 8 o'clock. And the day before I'm leaving, like, of course, this just blows up. And dude, this is, this is, this happens all the time. Like, it's just, it's frustrating. And what happened to the, uh, to the 200 that you're hunting in Nashville? I lost permission at the right place. Same deal. I, so <clears throat> again, this is, this is playing into the side of like stuff people don't see. I was driving to Nashville every week throughout probably end of May, mostly June, July, like for probably three months, I was driving to Nashville pretty much every week. Sometimes it was just to put a camera out, just, you know, change batteries and camera, check a camera, this, that, or the other. But like I was driving the four hours there every week. Sometimes was it was literally to change batteries and drive four hours back. And I spent my whole summer once I got pictures of this deer, I spent my whole summer tracking him down, getting all these spots. I probably got 12 different spots, tracked down his bedroom to this one kind of main road. And it was, it was a hundred percent his core area, his bedroom. Like I would, that deer would already be dead if I could still hunt there. It would, you think so? A hundred percent. He lived there. And I go in, I clear out all this area, put in my micro food plots, like all this stuff, handstands that, I mean, just you know, put all the work in to like prime this place to get it right for that velvet season. Um, I sat there one time during the velvet hunt and he showed up the next day. I was hunting Toby, the other deer, the big 200 showed up Sunday evening, the last day of the velvet season. And I wasn't in that tree. I decided to go hunt somewhere else just cause he wasn't super consistent there right now. But, um, hundred percent that deer would have died in that food plot with that mock scrape I put in there during the season, no doubt. I mean, dude, it's slam in his bedroom and my homeowners were just out walking their dog one day and came across a property owner, a homeowner that lived kind of towards the end of the street. And just, was it that neighbor that you were trying to hide from when I was there with you? Um, like couple, I try to hide from a lot of up. neighbors, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it was that guy. I think so. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but, but yeah, I mean, it was one of those neighbors sue him 
And I mean, (laughs) dude, it falls under kind of the same thing. Like, you know, is it interfering? But long story short, they're walking their dog and they run across this guy and just, you know, sake of conversation, they bring up, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're letting this guy hunt behind our house and biggest mistake of their lives or your guy. Yeah, dude, the guy flipped out. I mean, just lost it and got my permission revoked. And so, you know, three months of, uh, work to finding this deer, finding his bedroom and finally having like the right spot. Dude, my food plot in there was immaculate. It was awesome. Do you think that guy is a hunter? No, no. I, th- I just think that he likes deer, anti, anti hunter. Um, and so, yeah, lost permission there and ended up having to kind of my, my plan B spot, um, was right across from the guy that flipped out. So I, I, I can't really hunt that spot without him seeing it and lo- doing the same deal there. So I kind of went to my plan C. Actually, no, no, I'm sorry. My plan B Scott spot got developed mm. that I was going to hunt the deer that was closest to his bedroom. So I had to go to my plan C spot, which is like another ridge over and do the food plot over there and everything like that. And I, I don't know where that deer is right now, but so much time went into that one 200 inch deer in Tennessee and so he's on show for it. he's on a big chunk of property kind yeah. of in like the outskirts of the suburbs yeah and that big chunk does not allow hunting so you're, no. kind of, you're getting like little what half acre acre spots that are kind of backing up to that yeah 300 acres or something it's I mean there there's thousand acres that deer can roam mm-hmm. he's it's broken up into bigger chunks of woods, but I mean, it's, yeah, 300 acre chunk of woods, 100 acre chunk of woods, another 200 acre chunk of woods. And I, I have like one acre chunk. Yeah. Half acre chunk, two acre chunk. And baiting is not allowed in Tennessee. Can't bait in Tennessee. Which doesn't necessarily work that well for a deer of that age anyways. They get on extreme edge. Yeah. I mean, I, but I think it would help probably. Yeah, for sure. It would help. I mean, I, I think. I think baiting is um, obviously advantageous. Um, bucks come to it, certain bucks, um, but I think that they are so on edge, like mm-hmm. alert level 10, that if your access, if everything is not perfect, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they just, they'll bed within sight of it. Yeah. And if, if they can see you walk into your stand anywhere close to that bait, then you're done. Dude, so what's crazy is that 200-inch deer at my plan C spot, this is still, um, let's see. No, this was after the velvet season, so it was like there was another, I don't know, month until or three weeks or something, maybe a month until the season opened back up. So I was like, all right, I've lost permission to these spots. I'm going to put out a bag of feed and just see if he's in this area. And when I put feed out, when I put bait out, that deer started using, coming to that area, mostly at night. And when he was in there in daylight, it was early in the mornings. And I went in there, you know, weeks later and found exactly where the deer was bedding. And dude, you literally, because of that bait being there, that deer was positioning himself to where he knew a hundred percent if that area was compromised at all. It's not like he's coming. Like you went and found his bed. Like I literally saw down. his bed. Yeah. yeah. How far was it from the bait? 20 yards, 30 oh, yards. Really? Yes. And it was, it was right at, at the edge of this, in this thicket. 
and it was it was in between the it was like right up close to the house. Yeah. And he knew that like if he had his back to the house and eyes on everything else, like he knew when that site was compromised. Mm-hmm. There was no way to get in there. It's not like he's coming from 300 yards off, 500 yards off. Like he's right there. So his so he's betting between the bait and the house or yeah. really? Yeah. So you're walking past him. Past his bed. That's what's crazy. Like it's and, and it's, he knew that. It's dude. the same thing like people always say like urban deer are stupid or whatever and it's so different than big woods deer but it's really not. Yeah. And I mean there's obviously differences but a deer wants to live and they're, they're really smart. good at it. But the way that they use terrain features and fields and wood lines and thickets to bed and keep eyes on a direction that potential predators could come from and then like whatever's at their back either they feel safe or they can smell what's coming behind them yeah all right so that's like the same way they've used the bean field in nashville that i've been hunting for four years and still haven't killed something at i'll give you they just they bed where you cannot get to them yeah and it's that's crazy that he's betting between the house but just when the bait was there just when the bait was there when the bait's there they're like there thanks for this this food here um i'm gonna protect i'm gonna make sure (laughs) you're an idiot i'm gonna see you walk in if you're trying to kill me yeah they know um and to be clear the bait you cannot bait in tennessee that was just simply like an observation for to see if that deer was in the area yeah you're just getting there you're getting new spots and trying to figure out yeah 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 and uh bait has to be gone for 10 days completely gone for 10 days um before you can actually start to hunt again but we have to we have to be like very very dialed on on all these laws um but another perfect example is going back to nashville the buck that we killed uh in velvet up there uh combs that video we have out that deer and this is this is what again this is like kind of diving behind the scenes what people don't understand talking about how these how smart these deer are even though they're in an urban environment these deer were bedding at the top of this hill where they could see the entire side yard field whatever you want to call it from that abandoned house Mm -hmm. where they were bedding they could see literally all of it. And if it was compromised in any way, they would not come to it in daylight. They would not. And so I, you know, several days before the opener, I walked in that field and I hung a stand. And that was my plan was to hunt out of that stand. But as you and I have learned over the years, like access is critical. And these deer are smart and they're watching, they're observant, they're constantly trying to pattern you. And that's when I put the ground blind at the base of that wall, kind of backing up to that abandoned house. And people were like, you know, some of the feedback was like, oh, you know, well, that's not hunting, you know, big challenge there. And I'm like, you don't understand. If you didn't do that and you'd have walked into that stand. To the tree that was 20 yards, 15 yards. 15 yards from that wall. Yeah. (laughs) If you'd have walked to that tree, you never would have killed those deer. You never would have seen them, period. And that's, that is the, like, and, and the place I'm hunting with this apartments is, not as urban. I mean, I'm having to take a kayak in there, mm-hmm. but the access is so important, especially when you're going to hunt a place over and over. If your access is good, your wind is good, your presence is not being thrown on those deer, you're minimizing your presence. You can sit and sit and sit and sit and sit and sit and sit. But when your access is bad, 
you can't repeatedly do that. Those deer will figure yeah. out figure you out so fast. It's the same deal with the farm that I was hunting in Nashville for velvet, the bean farm. I mean, there is no way to get into the good spots without taking a kayak down mm-hmm. the river. And I had an opportunity the first morning on one of the like I guess I mean not the smaller bucks, but he was he's probably like the third or fourth largest buck on that farm. And I kayaked in in the dark, probably half mile down the river, snuck up the bank, already had my stand hung. My stand had been hung for probably two months. And uh, after that, like that first opportunity, that first morning, after that, it was basically like I was chasing deer around the whole time. Like once they once they get onto you, you're literally just, I mean, you're chasing your tail basically. Yeah. And it's, it's the same, like when you have a, if you're in an urban area and you have like a house is almost like a, um, a, almost like a, I guess a, a boundary or a border of like where you can penetrate their kind of their habitat or their, their bubble, I guess is what we call it. But even if you're out in the big woods, like there's still that like line that you can pass and you want to kind of work the edges of it. Um, there were several times where there was bucks bedded in this like point of this horse pasture that kind of like protruded out into this bean field and you could walk a hundred yards out into that horse pasture. And I, I knew where the bucks were bedded and I knew I could walk a certain distance before they'd get up. But like, as soon as you cross this one little threshold, they're onto you no matter if the wind's in your favor or not, like they know what's up and they get out of there. Yeah. And so just like figuring out where that, that threshold is and getting as close to, as possible to it without busting through it is yeah. the key. And, and what's, it's hard to figure that out. Yeah, dude. It, and it, it just takes time. Like no one, yeah. no one, a property that, that place, the apartments I'm hunting, like, you know, sitting in the stand, I can, I'm actually learning. Okay. These deer are favoring this side of the property. This is where their bedding is. This is kind of their rotation through here. Like this is what's going on. Like it takes time to figure that out about a place. It's impossible to just like step right in and immediately be like, yeah, I got this place dialed. I know where they're bedding. I know how to access like this. You got to get pretty creative with your access and getting familiar with the property like is going to help you kind of hone in on how to best be able to access that. The reason the ground blind in Nashville versus me walking into the field and getting in the tree is because we had three years of history there. We knew that those Mm -hmm. deer bedded on that hillside and would sit there and watch. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. We just came back from a uh, veterans hunt in Pennsylvania and there was a guy, his name's Johnny, huge public land hunter. Like it's all he does, big woods, public land. And I was sitting there talking with him and we were just like hitting it off being like, talking about different tactics and strategies and and i was like dude you do that you do that too you do that too and he's he's doing some of the stuff we're doing in like you know big woods of pennsylvania and all the, in ohio and like all these yeah. places like and, five, I, I mean i think that play that public land we were hunting was like five hundred thousand acres yeah. we're, so, we're walking around with him and he's just like he's one of those dudes <laughs> he almost reminded me of the guy at tudor farms the uh the muskrat man Dude, like when, we gotta get the muskrat man. <laughs> the muskrat man, world champion, uh, muskrat skinner. We got to talk a little bit more about. We get there. Maybe we have him on at some point. We're, let already, me, let we're me, already going down that road of of. We we're, we're not going to do special guest appearances, <laughs> but we're already talking about bringing the muskrat. First man one, on. <laughs> first one on the muskrat man. 
Anyways, so Musk, we'll tell you who Muskrat, Muskrat Man is in a second, but guys that like they're so deep into whatever they're into, like the Muskrat Man was deep into muskrat trapping and skinning. When he starts talking about like his process and how he skins these little critters, it's almost like a, a Vietnam vet like go flashback flashback to like combat and it's like they just enter that that like that mode yeah you get it's almost like a window into their mind yeah and it's not like a it's not like someone's just explaining to you how to do something it's like you're in you're in their thought process and that's that's what i thought about when we were walking around with johnny kind of looking at some different spots and like where he's hunted in the past you're, you're, he just like starts talking about these different things like I'm literally inside your head right now. You told me when we're walking around Pennsylvania in the woods with Johnny, you were thinking about the muskrat man. I mean, I don't know if I was thinking about it then, but like in <laughs> hindsight, it the way that he explains things or like thinks out loud is what reminded me of the muskrat man. So the muskrat man is, this is important. If you're listening listen. to this, Thomas... Tune in. This Th- is important. Thomas wants to uh, do a short story, short film. Dude, it, it needs to happen. The muskrat man, so uh, Drew and I hunt a place called Tudor Farms. It's an old young life camp in Maryland for Sika deer. And uh, there's a guy that works there. And the last time we were there, well, last year was in January. And we met this guy and they they just called him like the muskrat man. And we went in and he had like trapped a bunch of muskrats or whatever. He th- What is he? he? He's like multi, multi world champion. Yeah, muskrat cleaner, but he holds he holds the world record for the fastest cleaning of I think five, five. muskrats in like under a minute or something. I like think that. it's like a minute and a half or something like that. But when I'm talking, when we're talking about cleaning a muskrat, like there cannot be a single nick through their hide or any like it has to be no no flawless. Broken, yeah, like the- has to literally be perfect and flawless. And this guy's cleaning five of them and like a minute and a half or less. And when he went to like, dude, you're like Vietnam, like you could see it in his eyes. I mean, he was just like having like, like just war thoughts that he's just like, just getting in that zone of like, when he was giving us a little briefing of like, all right. Cause I was like, all right, you got to show me how to clean a muskrat. Like you're the world, you're telling me you're the world champ muskrat. We have the world champ muskrat cleaner in front of us. You've got to show me how you clean one. I mean, how often do you get that chance? And Not very often. No, no it's, you know, once in a lifetime. So there's only he, one. He started to go through that process of like showing us, you know, how to clean it. It was like once he entered that mode, he just became it's a like, whole different animal. What you do here is you take this muskrat and you flip it over and you grab his leg. Go like that. <laughs> it's just it's kind of scary. <laughs> But oh God. we need to, um, don't do it to me. We need to do a video with the muskrat man. Yeah. I mean, he deserves a whole film. Yeah, he does. Short story. Yeti. If you're uh, listening to this, no, hell with that. We're doing. Yeah. Alone. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Never mind. Yeti. <laughs> Sloan. Sorry, buddy. Um, so anyways, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, where to go from here? Well, I guess we could, how long, up. how long do we want to try and make these, we're 39 minutes in. I think like... Is there like a time that we should shoot for? I don't think so. I mean, I I listen to a lot of like Rogan and Meat Eater and a lot of theirs are... I mean, Rogan's are freaking three hours long. 
I don't think we go that long. I don't got three hours in me right now. <laughs> I think we do like an hour. But uh, I think we um, give a little bit more recap on the season, where we're at with the season. Also, yeah. I want to ask you, all right, I'll just ask you this question right now. Um, just kind of put you on the spot. What are, what, uh, what's your vision for Seek One? Hmm. I, I don't want to ruin a, uh, very like deep moment, but I'm going to. <laughs> okay. Are you going to let one rip again? I just did. <laughs> That's your vision for it? <laughs> I don't know if the audio, I should have put the mic down, down there, but, oh, dude, it smells, it's the protein shake. It smells like Bigfoot's dick. I don't even enjoy that. That's disgusting. Um, vision for Seek One. Um, I think... It's kind of like we're kind of in that place where there's a lot of different roads. And I feel like we are kind of honing in on which road to go. Um, I think for me, like the legacy, I don't know, are you, are you wanting like future plans or just kind of like when people think about us in the end? Like, Whatever comes to your mind. I think it's when I think about open-ended, when people think about us in the end, um, I want them to think that we opened up a door, a new door uh, into allowing people to enter into the hunting world that may not have had that door, that opportunity to go through that door originally. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think that when we first started doing this, there was a lot of people that were like not sure about us, not sure about like what we were doing. It was new. I mean, it was just, at one, at, let's be honest. When we first started doing it, it was controversial. People were like, "Oh, you know, that's not hunting." That you know, blah blah blah. This, that, and the other. There were so many stigmas about it. But then people started doing it, and doing it, and more people started doing it, and more people started like, you know, just doing it and kind of like having fun with it. And I think that. Are there differences? This is this is a topic we could talk about for a while. But are there differences? Yeah, I think in this the is urban? a. I think this is a full on. I mean, maybe multi part podcast yeah. where we do bring, bring a guest on that is I, a yeah. has experience in like big big and I, woods. And, and I think urban. we tackle that later. But <clears throat> there are differences. Um, do I really care what those differences are? Like, is that what's important to me? That oh, this is harder or this is easier or that? No, I I really don't. Like, it doesn't matter to me. We were given an opportunity to hunt. And we were basically dealing with the cards we were dealt. I'm We're from Atlanta. I had nowhere else to hunt. My family doesn't hunt. And if it were not for the door knocking game, the suburban game, finding an acre here, finding five acres, 10 acres, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, hunting is my life. Like it literally is my life. It's my passion. Like it's brought me like to my faith and like so many friendships and relationships. Like it is 
who I am in so many ways. And that would not have happened if it were not for suburban hunting. And I'm getting there. That's your question. I'm getting <laughs> there. Wake me up when you get there. Uh, but my point is that like when people think back on what we did for hunting, I want people to think that we got a lot of new people into hunting and that their experiences, these new people getting into hunting that I hope that they're having the experiences that we're having, that it means half as much to them as it does to us. Um, that we kind of grew hunting, got people outside just because it's five acres and not 500,000 acres doesn't make it any less meaningful to that person or less of an experience to that person. So I want people to like think back on us that we left the legacy of that. We got people into hunting. We introduced a lot of new people into hunting and when we first started doing it, it was really looked down upon and it's kind of turned this corner because there's been so many people getting into it. And that's the thing, like this is so addicting. This style of hunting, I think is some of the most addicting kind of hunting there is because that feeling you get when you get a new spot and you go put out a new camera, it's like Christmas. It's Christmas, dude. There's no other feeling about it. And it's like, man, there could be 170 inch deer in here. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a question before you move on. Okay. What percent of the U.S. population do you think lives in urban areas? See, now you're asking like <laughs> intellectual questions, and I don't like that. <laughs> um, I think you're going to be way off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my initial thought. I don't know what. I don't know how they define it. I literally just did a Google search, and I'm looking at the first thing that popped up. I don't know what they define urban as, but. You're, just you're, you're looking there. for a straight percentage yeah. of people that live in One urban. to a hundred would be a percentage. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I wanted to say, like, my initial reaction was going to be like 75%, 80%. Okay. Initial thought. But I'm going to go against that, and I'm going to say that 75% live in not rural areas. Wait. I, my, the question was, do I need to repeat the question? Yes, please. please. What percent of people, what percent of the U.S. population lives in urban areas, also known as not rural areas? 30%. You should have gone with your gut. Dang it! <laughs> I definitely just peaked our mic. Yeah, that peaked hard. 83% of the U.S. population lives in urban areas. See, I, over, so, I overthunk it. Yeah, you thunk too hard. Uh, that's crazy to think about yeah. because getting into this it's like and this wasn't planned at all like us getting to where we're at with seek one and actually having people that give a crap about what we're doing hunting wise is still crazy to me and was never like really part of the plan but we we always say like we have a niche market and that's super important if you want to build a brand or a business but if you look at the numbers 83 percent of people live in urban areas, meaning there's 83% of the people that could potentially be hunters live in urban areas. Yeah. So that's like, that makes rural hunting niche. Yeah. And not urban hunting. I got to get something off my chest. Okay. It's bothering the hell out of me. <laughs> this has been going on for years and I've never said anything until now. Are you about to make a personal attack on yeah, me? Yeah, I am. The way you say niche 
pisses me off. Niche? It's niche. Is it? I don't know another person on this planet that says, yeah, I'm running in this niche. How I'm long has this, this bothered you for? For uh, as long as we've been friends. I think it I think it's pronounced niche. Hang on, let me look. Let me look it up. You, do you listen to Rogan? Yeah, on occasion. You know how he has the uh his, guy in the corner uh, yeah, just like Jamie, fact check stuff. Yeah. Jamie, he just like fact checks and yeah. chimes in every now and then. We need we need one of those. We need a Jamie. Maybe Thomas can be our Jamie. Oh, and he gosh, can try Thomas to pr- he can try so to pronounce ni- Thomas is so hilarious. On it's this. pronounced Thomas niche. Thomas is <laughs> sounds all right. Here we go. Sounds like N E E S H S H niche. Yeah. Okay. Here. So you yes, you're taking it down to the technical technical side. Yeah, like factual as well. Sure. Saying. Yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing with you, but what I'm saying is. Hang on, hang on. You can't you can't ask Siri. Siri doesn't pronounce anything right. I'm not asking Siri. Ask Google. Niche. Do you need to hear it again? No, I don't. What I'm telling you is, look, I'm a man of the people, and the people say it niche. <laughs> don't say it niche. <laughs> and if there's a way for people to give feedback on this, that's I don't care about anything else that's, that you have heard in this podcast. Give us responses on that because that's pissing me off. Well, <clears throat> anyway, sorry. If that's the one thing that's pissed you off about me over the last 20 years, then I'm either you're blind or it's, it's up there. <laughs> it's up there. I I feel better that I got off my chest though. I'm good. So I'm glad. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that Get to your uh, point. I, I mean, I guess I've gotten to my point sort of, but like, no, the question was what's, what's your vision for sequel? And all you've talked about is, uh, the legacy. The leg- well, yeah, that's the vision. Okay. I want people to look back at us and be like, "How do you how do you get there?" Well, I feel like we've done. I feel like we've. Not, I'm not going to say accomplished that, but I feel like we have opened that door to a lot of new people. I mean, this it's 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 a lot of roads for this question. I took it kind of what people will remember us by, and I hope that that's what people remember us by is that we grew hunting. Even when it wasn't, even when it was being looked down upon, it was something we loved, and it's something that I didn't really care if people said negative things about it. I loved doing it. That's all I knew. That's all I cared about. And I wanted, we wanted to share those experiences with people. Um, I feel like we've accomplished that. I feel like we have grown hunting people getting into hunting, specifically archery hunting, because a lot of these areas are archery-only places. Um, and this, and our style of hunting, of, of getting these new places, and you don't have to have a million dollars to go get a lease or buy this farm and, like, you know, all this crazy stuff or go to these outfitters. Like, you can hop in your truck, look at a map, and go knock on some doors and find a place. I kind of feel like I, I feel like you're wanting me to talk more about you. You wanted me to go somewhere else. No, I'm just. I took it the I legacy was, way, but no, I was just leaving it open ended. I, I mean, I can fill in how, I guess, my answer or how we continue on that path. I yeah, I mean, I think that I want to continue to expand. Like, I feel like in a way that we've conquered Atlanta, and I will never stop hunting Atlanta. Like that's our niche, and we will continue to run. What is that? I don't know. We, that niche. wasn't even a word. N i t c h c h. N i t c h. N i t c h. Um, and uh, we'll never stop. That's our bread and butter. The the urban stuff, 
the Atlanta stuff, the Nashville stuff, the Birmingham stuff, like that's the bread and butter. I mean, that's like kind of the foundation of why people liked watching us. We just, we were different. And I think that expanding that, and that's kind of why I bring up like Canada. I think people would love to see us go to Canada or Kansas or, uh, for some French fries and gravy. eh? Yeah. I mean, just branch out like, like the Ohio video. I saw a ton of people that were like, man, you know, I was excited to see you up in our territory. And it's like, you know what that reminds me of? Tommy boy. (laughs) (laughs) No, surprisingly, most things do. Uh, when we were at the veterans hunt and we were, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we were just driving down some freaking like road in the middle of nowhere that like literally some neighborhood that was in the middle of nowhere like trailer park trailer park we're in a rental what were we driving it was a uh it wasn't a kia soul it was a it was kia soul Ford like, Focus? yeah like something i mean something that some you weird fruity yeah, something you wouldn't expect a hundred. We also got to make sure we don't get canceled because of this podcast. I don't, really don't care. <laughs> I'm going to say some stuff that might get us canceled. You can say whatever you want on the podcast. <laughs> okay, is what I've learned. Uh, so we're driving down this road and we're looking for, we're like going, we're about to go to this public land to go on the veterans hunt, but we have to pick up a package at someone's house and we're looking for the house and we're driving down this road. And we drive past, past this guy that's like out in his yard, go down to a different house. It's not the house that we're looking for. We turn around and this guy like runs out in the middle of the road and is like throwing his hands up, telling us to stop. And we're like, oh gosh, like what's what's going on here? And he like tells us to roll down the window. He's like, it is you guys. Like what, what are you doing well, here? He, he's like stopping. He was like in front of the hood. He's like, stop, yeah. stop. Like, I was like, oh, oh god. my god, we're about to get robbed. <laughs> What do you like? Seek one, boys. Like, what? I thought that was you. I saw you guys pulling in. It's like, no way. How, like, how do you recognize us through the Kia Soul or Ford Focus window in the middle of nowhere in a state that we've never been to in our lives? It's just, I, I, it's crazy. I, it, it's crazy, like, that we have that reach. Like, I, people treat you different, right? Like, when you get some, uh, recognition for what you're doing like people treat you different i mean they just do like they treat you it's just human nature i think that like you know if i go up to a famous person like you know chipper jones or whatever i'm like i'm wanting to be you know buddy buddy kind of mm-hmm. thing because they've they've been so successful in one certain thing it's like they're right. not human yeah but but they are and i don't like and i'm not saying that we're at that level no. at all but what i what i'm saying is like i don't feel any different at all like I don't I really don't like we just started filming videos and like love doing it and I don't look at myself any different I don't I'm still confused why people care yeah kinda (laughs) and it's just like like when we were walking around the Braves game a month ago there was people stopping us left and right it was just like like we don't see that all the time. We're not always like out in crowds or whatever, but I don't know. Like, and it's just like, I don't, I I just don't feel any different. I don't see myself any different. Like I, it's almost like, it's almost a feeling of greater responsibility. 
Yeah. Because you have all these eyes on but you. But you don't even realize it is kind of, I guess what yeah. I'm saying. Like It's responsibility, but also like opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity to yeah. make an impact on people. Yes. And I, I don't think like this, this kind of happened to us so fast. Like it was kind of hard to step into those shoes of like, hey, you have a large audience. People are paying attention to every word you got. They're watching you. They're looking up to you. And it's like... Meanwhile, you're here farting on... Farting on mics. And they smell bad. But it's just kind of like... I didn't realize... We didn't really really like realize what had happened. Like it just happened. And, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania on some back road and someone recognizes you through the window of a Ford Focus and wants to stop you so that they can talk about hunting with you. And show you the deer that they had just like European mounted. right. And that they, how much they love the videos and that kind of stuff. And it's just like, I don't know. It's it, to me, it's still like, I don't think it's something I'll ever really get used to. I guess that just, I'd look at us just like that. We're just normal. Yeah. I think that's, here's, I think what I'm saying. We're normal people. Like we're, we're normal dudes. If you approach any of us, we're going to sit there and talk to you like a normal person. Like we want to sit there and talk to you. I mean, I had, I had people come up to me in the brace game. I'm just having a conversation with them, like hanging out, just like we're friends. And they're like, man, you're just like a normal dude. I'm like, yeah. Would you think I, like, yeah. Would you think that we are? Like, you know, it's just, I don't know. I feel like people. Actors. I don't know. Yeah, but. Not that actors aren't normal dudes. So, uh, Rogan talks about something called, uh, I keep referencing Rogan. I don't know why. That's fine. He's the, he's the goat podcaster. So, yeah. shout out Rogan. Uh, he talks about imposter syndrome, which is like, I guess it's almost like a phobia, but it's the feeling that you're like for successful people, and on much greater levels than we're at, um, like for him or you know, professional athletes or actors or whatever. The feeling that like people are going to figure you out, like you faked it, you faked it so far to get to where you're at. And then you're afraid that like one day people are going to figure out that you're not legitimate. And I don't have every, everything is just going to like disappear. Like, Oh crap. Like I'm not actually a a good hunter and, or I'm not actually a good person. Yeah. It's like these people shouldn't actually be following us or listening to what we said. I don't have that fear. I just don't. Not that I'm saying like that we're amazing hunters and, and this, that like we're just good people. And we don't portray ourselves any differently on a video than we are just just being normal dudes. Yeah. I just don't think I've it still hasn't like really soaked in yet that we have people that follow us. Yeah. And I hope it I hope it never does, honestly. It's kinda it's kinda funny. This is and there's a like, you know, ninety nine percent here's here's kind of a lesson for everybody out there. If you're putting yourself out there in any way, I don't care if you're, you know, designing your own makeup or, you know, whatever. Does whatever there's a terrible analogy. Yeah. Possible, but like <laughs> literally my point is just like whatever you're doing, if you're putting yourself out there in any way, you're gonna have people that bring you down. Hey I mean haters. Ninety nine percent of the feedback is amazing, but you're always gonna have that one. And it's funny, like the video we did with Zach, uh, our last video with the deer getting hit by a car where I gave Zach my hunting spot. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that because I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is going to be a a great 
PR look for us, and people will think I'm a great dude. I don't know. Our PR agency, like, wrote the Yeah, they did kind of, you know, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, I just did that because, like, from my heart, I was like, I, I, I was like, I would rather him take that deer than me, period. That's what it boiled down to. And that's why I gave him my hunting spot. And I think it's, it's funny getting Zach and Justin's perspective of that because they had just heard all these things of like, or just had these assumptions that like they're cutthroat dudes. That's how they have to be to kill deer. You know, these big deer, they just, they have to be ruthless. Mm. And when I just like gave that spot away, I mean, Zach in the video, he's like, I don't even know what to say. And he was what you what you mean by that is that like you're always fishing for information and that if someone you're like trying to act like you're friends with somebody and then as soon as you get the that, information yeah. that you need that you're just gonna go that s- I'm a snake. snake the deer. Yes, that I'm a snake. A liar, a snake, you know, just like looking to burn somebody kind of yeah. thing. Now don't get us wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like getting leads on deer is a huge help. Hundred percent, and like you're gonna chase those down. Yes, until you hit something like, I mean, I, th- there's people hunting every single big buck yeah. in Atlanta at this point. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you can't you can't just stop hunting deer just because another really good dude is hunting the deer. Yeah, but, but there's, there's boundaries. Scenario, yeah, yes, there's boundaries where it's like I'm Ethic, not gonna, I'm the not ethical gonna, side of it. I'm not gonna cross that bound. Like I want this dude. I'd be happy if he got him. Right. I, I want really want to kill him too, but. I'm not going to be bitter if someone else kills them right. legally. Yeah. And so it's kind of funny hearing their perspective inside of it. And like, I'm friends with those guys. Now I didn't know them from Adam and now I'm friends with them. And we we shared trail cam pictures and stuff like that. And um, I promise you, they're not the last people that I just randomly meet and become friends with and share hunting stories of pictures and stuff with. But it's still funny, like being on the other side of that story now of, you know, kind of giving him my spot and, and doing what I could to help. Um, and them kind of having these assumptions about me and being like, Oh, he's, he's not like that. He's, he's a, he's a good dude. Mm-hmm. He still had, they still have friends that, you know, would kind of talk trash about me or whatever. Be like, you know, that loose scumbag or like whatever. after this, after that video posted eh, before, but then after like, just, you know, kind of talking again about this, like, and it's again, they're like, if I talk to 10 people out, 10 people, nine people were like, that's awesome. Like, that's great. I like those guys even more now, but there's always the one. And he said, like one of the guys he was talking to was, they were just chit chatting and, um, that they were like, no, like, dude, he's like, like they were talking about the video and he's like, he, no, he's just like a good dude. And, uh, you know, they were kind of saying how it was like selfless that I gave my spot away and that's not what they expected. And the, he said the one guy was still like, well, he's still a douchebag. <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> he's like, he might he might be a nice guy, but he's still a douchebag, and I hate him. I was like, I've never met this guy. What? I've always, like, battle internally, like, what that is in people. I think a lot of people just write it off as, like, jealousy, but I don't think that's – I think that's part of it. I think but it's I think a big it's like, part of it. I think it's like I think a lot of it is just bitterness to and whether that's just like being upset with the way their life's turned out or they're just like negative people in general and they just want 
it's like a, I mean, I don't know if a scapegoat's the right word, but just like yeah. a, a person to pin their issues on, plus a little bit of jealousy and wishing that they were in, the, in that situation. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter what the hell you say or you or what you do. Like, they're always going to just be like, yeah, screw that person. I still hate them. I th- yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's a psychological part to it um, for sure. But I get it though. Yeah, I mean, I like, do too. Like, I find myself having those thoughts as, about a, as a human being. Like, yeah. all humans are flawed. Like, there's other people in the hunting industry that I don't know personally that I'm like, eh, I don't know. Kind of yeah. seems like a douche. <laughs> right. When he totally could be like a great, a great guy. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, you just get like little pieces of who people are. Yeah. Through social media and whatever else. I, but I think it's like, there's a psychological part to it. It's a human nature side to us. Like that you find yourselves kind of having these like talking down upon other people because of something they're doing, especially if someone's having success, mm-hmm. like you're going to have those people that just, I don't know if it's like you said, the way their life's turned out, if it's jealous, I, I don't know what it is, but that's just a part of it. Yeah, that, and I and I and I have those thoughts too, and I try. Maybe I'm just getting old, but I feel like, well, I definitely I'm getting old for sure. But like, I feel like I've just kind of grown up as a person, and that I try to be like a little more thoughtful. As where you know maybe if I was just some like in my teenage years, I'd just be like, you know, talking trash or whatever. Well, you've been, I think the big thing is you've been in the other, on the other side of that equation. Yeah, probably has a lot. And that's been, I mean, that's had a huge impact on me is like seeing the ridiculous comments that we get and like stories that we hear about us. And it's like, wow, like things that I've thought about other people that have a following, like I'm one of those people that's saying ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't ever really like, get too deep into it but i have like skeptical thoughts sometimes and i'm like they could literally be nothing like what i think they are yeah it's just it's just human nature yeah when it really it, it just boils down to it i think a really funny podcast would be if we started jotting down comments oh that was another one like reading like reading the ridiculous oh, man, comments it'd be so <laughs> great it'd be so great we'd have to dig back a long way i'll just start good ones. i'll just start paying attention more because one of the ones that I posted on our Instagram was the the helicopter thing. Which is true. I mean, it's totally true, but this guy, it's not, but this guy, for the record, it's not true. This guy literally, I don't think it was one of those like comments that's just like, ah, I'm just trying to be funny. Just, you know, like I genuinely think that guy believed that we go to high fences in Texas and choose bucks and fly them back to Atlanta in helicopters to hunt them, drop them off. To hunt. I, I genuinely, yeah, <laughs> but I, in my mind, I'm like, how in the world does somebody's mind genuinely believe that? And how would you get away with that? <laughs> I, that's where my mind went. I was like, is this, is it even possible? Like logistically, there is no way you could get away. Like, where in Atlanta are you going to land a helicopter and just let a deer go it. without people like you teach knowing. a deer how to fast rope out of a helicopter? Oh. Can't be that difficult. And you just you just fly by, still moving, and send it, them down and the road. It jumps out and just parachutes yeah. out or whatever. No, oh well, yeah, you could do like a Dumbo drop situation. 
or you could just have like a basket, tranquilize them, put them in a basket, fly them over, lower them down, and then like quickly untie them, pull them out of the basket. Put yeah, them I mean the difficult. Part, and then I'll just though, I'll be I'll call you be like, hey, all right, Lee, uh, Tango is on the premises. He's waking up soon. Get yeah, ready. Yeah, but you know, it's going to take some real big uh, cinematic effect to to make you cry. Well, yeah, to fake that, you know, the emotion, but you know, to try and fake a story out of this helicopter drop deer, you know, it's. I think we should do it. Actually, do it. I mean, we would yeah. go to jail. I mean, not really. 100% you'd go to jail. It would get taken to court, but then we'd just be like, hey, don't you have rapes and murders to take care of? And then throw it out. <laughs> I hence, think it's back to well, the poaching situation. If that it was coming in. from Texas, I feel like Texas would get involved, and yeah. those boys don't play. There's probably a high fence in Georgia we can go pull one from. I was told a guy from Texas poached a deer, and that for like three years, this is kind of hilarious. I mean, it's it's kind of hilarious. I don't know that what I'm saying, like, is not actually accurate 100%. Like, it may have been five years. It may have been 10 As years. As most of the things that come out of your mouth. Most of it. But I'm full of crap. But everybody knows that. But anyways, moving on. This guy, what I do know for a fact was that during deer season, and I don't know how for how many years it was. Is this the Prince of Poachers you're talking about? No, it's not the Prince of Poachers. Okay. Um, this guy... Every when deer season came in, like when it was opening weekend, all the way to closing weekend, he had to turn himself into jail Friday afternoon <laughs> and sit in jail until Sunday afternoon, and then he could go home. Every weekend for like five years when deer season was open. This was someone you knew, right? I didn't know. I didn't oh, know okay. him. Someone told me the story of it, but he was it was some crazy poaching incident in Texas that this guy got caught for and that was his punishment was that the judge was like, okay, every weekend during deer season, you have to come to jail. That's hilarious. And then you can leave. And it's like, that's only during, during the months of deer season. When it's springtime, he's fine. He can do whatever that he wants. That would suck so much. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so much better just to go for your, what, four months straight and get it over yeah, with just versus it just like getting a taste of freedom and then be like, ah, come on back. It'd be so weird. That guy's probably that poor guy's probably still out there doing that. <laughs> hey, but if you're listening, sorry, we'd love to have you on <laughs> our very established and renowned podcast. Yeah, what are we going to name this podcast? I don't know. The Maybe I don't know. I, is there a way that like wherever we post this, people can leave comments or feedback? I think so. Um, yeah, yeah I, mean, I don't know how it works yet, but we're going to figure it out. Well, I want to. I want feedback on the niche niche uh, thing, and then I would like to. That's already been settled pretty sure it has not we'll take it to the comments and then i would like to see potentially some name ideas of i, mean, what I we think call we just thing. roll with the seek one podcast probably I, probably be a smart idea i'm not trying to redo build another <laughs> brand here <laughs> probably probably best idea just roll with that but so to answer my question to you which you kind of skirted and talked about legacy and deep stuff which is, I guess, the driver behind the whole thing anyways. Uh, where do we go from here? And where where are we going? Where are we trying to go? I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's kind of a, a moving target or I guess an adapting target as we kind of just continue to do what we're doing and, and figure things out and like 
grow into um, different, just grow into like more well-rounded hunters in general. Cause like we, I feel like we've been pretty pigeonholed into the urban stuff for a long time. And I mean, obviously we've had experiences outside the urban stuff. Um, but most of what we've done has been urban. And I think it's important that we keep doing that. And I, like, like you said, it's addicting and I, as, as, as frustrating as it can be sometimes dealing with all the BS, like the landowners, poachers, getting permission, all that kind of stuff. When you actually do get a picture of a big deer and you've like put in all that effort and you've gotten the permission and you've, Oh, here's another thing I wanted to tell you. I hadn't told you this yet. So I guess a little, there's a couple pieces to this. It's been like a, a pretty busy season for me, like behind the scenes. I haven't had a ton of time to be in the woods besides like the trips that we go on, especially Atlanta. Like when I'm home, I'm on the computer. I'm like doing business stuff, editing videos, whatever. But I, we're we're kind of getting people and team members in place to like take some some stuff off my plate so I can hunt more. And so I'm kind of like I'm looking forward to dedicating more time to going back out and knocking on doors and like getting new spots and like having new experiences and stuff hunting. So I bought, you know, the thing, the, that like pitch counters, dude, <laughs> that definitely should have picked that audio up. Dude. Uh, <laughs> there's no wonder you're single still. <laughs> I'm not single. Or like not married. Adrian, <laughs> sorry. Anyways, you know, the, uh, like the pitch counters that umpires use. Yeah. Like clicker just had, keeps count so i bought one of those and it's in my truck right now and since thanksgiving i've been just like every door i knock on i like click it and i'm Dude, keep, i wish i'd done that i'm keeping track of like how many doors i knock on partially because we've never actually like kept track we've kind of just guesstimated it, yeah and i think we're probably pretty accurate but it's thousands and thousands over the years uh partially because i want to know like what that number is but also like it's hard to show people the effort that goes into just getting that one spot where we eventually find or not find a shooter. Yep. And so kind of having that number there is like, okay, well, you just knocked on 150 doors and you finally got the spot. But I'm, I'm up to, I started it, I guess, what day is today? The 30th, like five days ago. And I'm already at like 25. Um, I don't even remember where I was going with this. I, well, side note to your point there, I spent three days getting permission in an area where I was following a lead on a big deer just to find that the deer is like 130 inches. And I do, yeah. I, it's th three full days down there, knocking, 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 130 inch deer. Yeah. And I will never do anything with that ever. Mm -hmm. Three days just kind of gone. Till you find the right one. So my point is that they're like it, it to your point with the clicker, like it is impossible to fathom how much time actually goes into like having one story unfold. Yeah. So I guess my point was like, I don't even know what my point was that I kept, I went on like four sides there, but you're wanting where we're going with Sequin yes. and kind of like where we're at. Um, we're, I think we're in like a, a, a building like growth stage right now. And there's been, what is it, it's been like seven years since we started filming. 
when he killed Charlie. And a lot of like the burden of killing deer and being on camera has been on you for the most part. And the burden of like the other stuff, like the editing and production and business stuff has been on me. And I feel like we're finally at a point where we can actually like break out of those kind of molds. Um, and we're, this has kind of been my, my main focus over the last few weeks. And it's going to continue to be my focus for the rest of the year is like putting a, a team in place to kind of take it to the next level. And I think the first kind of steps of that is getting full-time cameramen and editors that can keep up with a, a much, I guess, faster pace of con of uh, content. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, um, this week we, I basically got, we haven't signed a contract yet, but we've got like the post-production stuff figured out. Got a couple guys that are going to handle all the, uh, all the editing. And then, um, I don't want to speak too soon, but I'm hoping Thomas joins us full time again. He's kind of been freelancing a little bit this year, but, uh, hoping he'd that he be, comes full time. He'd be a real good addition. Yeah. And then we're, I, we said earlier, we kind of posted on Instagram about, needing uh cameraman and I'm hoping that we get another full-time guy out of that. So getting that side figured out. And then we got Slade who came on. He's kind of helping out with some of the business stuff. Um, just so many miscellaneous, there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes to running like a brand like this, that it's cr- like <laughs> this, the saying that if you want to hunt for a living, don't start a hunting brand. It's, it rings true so much because there's so much crap that you have to do yeah. behind the scenes. And it's like, I, I feel like I hadn't even had time to get in the woods that much this year. But and, I, and, and I've missed like the trips. Like that's my favorite part of what we do is the shared moments, the trips, stuff like that. And this year has been a, a I don't know if you call it a building year, just like stuff kind of happened for us so fast and we have such big plans that a lot of the back office stuff like fell on you. And so it, it's super important that we're putting that team together that can free you up mm-hmm. to do more of that. But stuff. Not even just like free me up, but like we have so many ideas that are good ideas. Yeah. And having a team in place of people that are like smarter than us and more capable and more experienced than us that can like, actually take those ideas and bring them to life. make them happen is really, it's, it's a cool feeling. It, we're not there yet, but like I, there are some guys that I'm hoping that will come on board that will kind of help out with those, with those ideas. It's cool to like finally have, finally be able to take these ideas and be like, all right, this is literally going to happen. Like I, all I have to say is, all right, here's my idea. Uh, like you be in charge of this. Cause you're good at that. You know, these people, you do this, I'll do this. And it's like, this could legitimately happen. And I feel like it snowballs. Um, and so there's like with that team coming in place, like there's a handful of different uh, avenues that we've kind of been going down. One is the venison project. And I haven't even told you about the conversation that I had with Matt Keller yesterday or two days ago about the venison project, but he has a, a badass idea with the, the whole processor thing that we've been talking about for a couple years now. But there's just different like offshoots of Seek One that I want to start kind of working on. Venison Project's a big one. The Broadhead 
that we just kind of started getting into is a big one. And if you guys haven't, uh, we've only really posted one video about that, but um, we found a manufacturer here in Atlanta that they manufacture suppressors. That's their main, main deal. They're like the biggest suppressor gun suppressor manufacturer in the world. And they also do like other like precision metal parts, like BMW gears and other gun parts and stuff. But, um, we're trying to make our own broadhead and this place can do something badass. So that's a huge project. Uh, got a bunch of other stuff in the works, but I think like, I'm, I'm like, I can never just sit still and just be comfortable where we're at, which is probably a fault. Um, I'm always like looking forward and trying to figure out what's, what the next thing is. And I think my main, like my vision with the whole thing is almost like kind of what like a, the media, like mediators done and Renella's done with that whole thing. Um, mixed with like what Guggen squad has done. So Guggen squad is fishing brand fishing. They started out as just YouTubers, individual YouTubers and basically got together, created the Guggen brand. Now they manufacture fishing products. Um, and promote that through their channels. I'm just like, I love the design process and like coming up with new products and gear and whatever else. And like, we have the, I guess the audience and the medium to kind of promote that stuff through. And so I think that's kind of like the next step of this whole thing is like first the broadhead. And then I'm going to have, we have 10 different other product ideas that are kind of sitting in the queue. We just need the manpower to make them happen. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like the next step and then bringing a couple other team members on uh, to be in front of the camera and also help out on the back end. Um, and then just like doubling down on the legacy and the mission, I think is, is the main goal kind of building the team out to, to double down on that. Yeah. I think, <clears throat> I, I, I think that's a big part of the legacy is, to kind of like pass it along in a way, like build the team out and something that's going to outlast yeah, us. Yeah. Cause I can't do this forever, dude. Like I'm this, this is exhausting. Like having uh, so many bucks in so many different States <clears throat> and feeling the pressure of like, you've got to kill deer. Like if you don't, you don't have episodes, this, that, and the other. And it's like, and you're trying to do it without going with outfitters and relying on other people. Yeah. You're doing it yourself. And that's, that makes it so much harder. And, you know, like I'm stressing out about killing a deer in Tennessee and like, I have been busting my ass to kill a deer in Tennessee and I've had encounters and it's just like, it just hasn't happened yet. And, you know, it's like, I go up there it's like 12 days straight or something like I, there was, I've been sleeping on couches more than I've been sleeping in a bed. I mean, just in Tennessee for how many ever days, like just sleeping on a couch, you know, just traveling to all these places. And like, I, I, I can't at some point like, and, and I'm totally obsessed with this stuff and I freaking love every second of it, but it wears you out. But at some point, like when I, you know, do have a wife and a family and kids like I'm not going to be able to do that like I have been and so yeah I think 
I think growing the team out and, and we're kind of in that phase, like we're trying to figure out who the right team is. We're, we're, we're getting there. We're taking steps in that direction. But as far as like on camera team, like people that you will see hunts of go out and kill a deer. I think we're still trying to figure that out, but I think that's important is to grow that team. Um, I want more people involved and that it's not like an exclusive thing. I want this to be like anybody can feel like they're a part of it. Um, with just kind of the style of what we're doing, but still keep it. I mean, I want to keep it small. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, I, we're like 500 people on there, but I don't want to, <clears throat> I don't want to like compromise the, the video quality because we, I mean, we, with just the two of us or three of us with Kindle, we could increase the amount of videos that we do, but we just have to de- decrease the quality. I don't, I want to do the opposite. I want to increase the quantity and increase the quality. And with the people that we have coming on as far as like post-production and then like cameramen, we can, we can do that. And then I think the next, the next step is bringing on someone else that may like may or may not be outside of the urban game. Cause part of what like, and I don't know if you feel this way, but part of me feels like the urban hunting thing is like a gateway drug almost. It's not because like you I, like I never want to leave the urban stuff because it's like what we cut our teeth on and it's so addicting and it's like what we love. But at the same time, like who doesn't want to go out west and hunt elk or like go spend a month in Alaska? Well, I don't know how many yeah, people do that, I mean, but spend a month in Alaska, hunt caribou and sheep and whatever else. Like I want to start doing more adventurous stuff, and I would like to have another team member on that's like more well-versed in that kind of stuff um, while still kind of keeping like the core of the urban stuff. Yeah. I mean, I had a train of thought and it just went out the window. I'm trying to gather it again, but I think that you're in it. You're, you're in the urban stuff for the long haul. I think I just, dude, I'm too obsessed with it. Like I literally, am too obsessed with it. And I, and that's why I never really got into turkey hunting. That's why I never really got into like elk or that Western style. I was just too obsessed with what was in front of me and I didn't think about anything else. And I don't really see myself doing anything else. Like I do see myself going on other hunts like that on occasion, but I don't see myself doing that much. Like I just, well, I'm, I'll I'm, let you stick to the urban stuff. I, I can't. I'll, I'll I can't. continue to dabble in it, but I'll also spend all of September out west. But I also feel like, and I, I could be wrong in this thinking, like I don't want to revert to... I don't think that's a word. Oh, yeah, I guess advert? Word. Well, continue in your sentence. I don't know where you're going with People it. will understand. I don't want to revert to like what hunting shows typically become yeah once just going with they've become a hunting show yeah and i so i like i don't want that to become like oh well if you have a hunting show you have to do this you have to go to kansas and have an outfitter or you have to go do this or you have to go do like i think that's why people enjoy us is that yeah. we're, we're not that well i went i mean we ha- we haven't posted the video yet because it's kind of a couple things. I mean, it was a tough edit. 
and we kind of just ran out of time. It kind of became irrelevant, but I went on my first elk hunt this year and I could have gone, I have experience filming hunts and I've gone with some guys that really know what the heck they're doing. And so I had kind of a little bit of experience, I guess, but first time behind the bow and I could have gone with like an outfitter or gone on private land somewhere where I would have had like maybe, maybe better odds, but I almost felt like a, because it was my first hunt, but B, because like, I don't want it to feel, I guess, unrelatable or unobtainable for people. I felt like I owed it to myself to go on public land. I almost like part of me wanted to go over the counter, but I ended up actually buying a landowner tag for public land in New Mexico. But I want to, I want to learn from like my own mistakes and my own experience and not just like rely on somebody else to show me what to do and how to do it and where to do it. And not that I'm not going to take advice and like learn from other people. Like that's absolutely how you cut your learning curve down. But I want to like feel like I've earned it. And for my first elk hunt, I don't think it would have felt right if I went out there and just like... With like an outfitter or something. With an outfitter or nothing against going with an outfitter. Like if you're like for most people that are taking... They have two weeks of vacation a year. Like by all means go with an outfitter. So your odds of success are so much higher. But for me, just like we've done in Atlanta, like we didn't have anyone telling us what to do or how to do this. Like we we learned from our own mistakes and it made it makes every single kill like that much sweeter and every single story that much mean that much more meaningful because we've like figured it out on our own. Yeah. And I wanna kinda go down that same path with all the hunts that I do. And I, I, I don't think that's like realistic for everything. But I want there to be like a taste of that for everything that we you're, do. You're a Westie. I should. I, I yeah. I think you're I should be. I think I was supposed to be born in Bozeman with like See, you, Sims waiters on. And you a, desire to be <laughs> in the the just vastness of the West. I do. And I'm right where I want to be. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> I like the urban stuff. <clears throat> not like, not saying I wouldn't do it. Like I I would probably go elk hunting and be totally addicted to it, but. I just, it's, I don't know. I just like can't, I just can't get away from like the, the style that we've, that we have. I mean, I, I just, I just like, I can't think about anything else. The only thing I can think about is I know that like you dream of like having that magical elk hunt happen, do it yourself. Like I, I feel like you'd probably rather kill a, What's like the equivalent to like a 200 inch whitetail in elk standard? Probably 400. I feel like you'd rather kill a 350 bull, 360 bull, than like a 190, 80 inch, 90 inch deer at this point. Well, I don't think the score has anything to do with it, honestly. I think I just really love being out in that environment. Right. Like, I guess what I'm saying is like I feel like you would choose that over right now. Yeah, that well, accomplishment over. I mean, if like you said that. like a, I mean, I've killed 180s and 190s or a 190. If you said 200, I would I would stay home to kill a 200 inch deer over before. a 380 bull. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't you think get, I don't think I care about the score that much of the of an elk. 
for my first elk. Like I, I want it to be a respectable bull and like a mature bull. Four hundred bull. What are you What are you asking? Like what I would give up for a four hundred bull? <laughs> would you Would you rather take the two hundred whitetail or the four hundred uh, bull? Probably the bull, <laughs> dude. I, <laughs> I've had my opportunities at two two hundred inch whitetails, and I hadn't gotten it done. So might as well give a crack at the four hundred bull. Yeah, I just. I mean, I there's, I I think. I think that it's really like people have enjoyed it, seeing us do different things for sure. Um, I think the one thing we just need to make very sure of is that we do not become just another hunting show mm-hmm. that it's like, Oh, these guys almost just like gave into the system in a way mm-hmm. that it's like, Oh, they're just, you know, they're just part of what's standard for the industry now to go, you know, have this hunting show and just do this stuff. Like I still want it to be us. Um, and I'm sure I'll go on an elk hunt one day and I'm sure I'll go on a mule deer hunt one day. I mean, you're probably going next year, but for being honest, I just can't like if, if I had a 200 inch whitetail at home, you could not pull me away. Yeah. I I just, I, I could not personally, I just couldn't do it. And it's so like, like we're saying, kind of trying to increase the amount of videos that we put out. It's so difficult to kill, to find, to get permission to go kill big whitetails in urban areas. Like totally on your own. It's hard enough to do it in the city that you live in, which is getting extremely difficult with the hunting pressure around here. But like to go do that in a different city where you're having to drive four hours, eight hours to get there to even knock on doors. Yeah. That it's just not it's not sustainable to to fill to to do 50 videos in a year. No. No, it's that. not. And, and especially cuz like I don't want to ever compromise oh, here comes a, you know, immature whitetail, yeah. but he'll make a good episode. I'll just give him the beans. Like I don't want to do that. I like I always want to target an animal, have my goal to be that animal and we'll stop at nothing less. I don't want to like sacrificing Getting an episode. In other words, you want to seek one. Yes, correct. Keep the main thing the main thing. And that's like, you know, dude, I've had that opportunity in Tennessee. I got a deer right now showing up that's 130 inches all day. And I just, he's not, he'd make an episode, but like he's not Mm -hmm. the ones I've dedicated all this time to. And, you know, that, that is not conducive to getting out tons and tons and tons of episodes. But when it does, like, we want to make it worthwhile. People's like that they enjoy it. They come away watching that episode with a smile and encourage them. They enjoyed it. And I don't, we don't want to waste anybody's time, you know, just showing a hunt that like there was no emotion in and stuff like that. So I think as long as we keep the emotion in it, that that's like, I mean, obviously one of the most important things that it was earned. That it wasn't just like you showed up, you shot, you moved on. Mm-hmm. That's that is what I, the last direction I think that we need to go is just like show up, shoot, leave. Mm-hmm. Well, so. b- I, a big part of the Western stuff is like is the planning aspect of it. There, there's so much that goes into, especially when you're 
from the east and you don't you might not have contacts out there you're trying to figure out where to go how to get the tag what to apply for once you figure out where you're hunting like what unit you're hunting and where to go in that unit where to start how to call all these different things and like that process is the story a lot of times and then you get out there and shooting just like a any mature bull or any not even a mature bull but like just a bull that you're happy with is enough for the story and enough to get the emotions out yeah for sure and that i mean that could hold true like we're about to go on a hunt to a, a lake in tennessee first time we've ever, ever been there like we're not hold we're not holding out for the 170 inch deer it's like we're going for the experience and hunting on a lake and hunting public ground and doing the mobile stuff and it's like I just want to kill something yeah so I think it, there's just different scenarios for different it's situations. To, yeah totally different scenario totally different style and 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 to, again to me like one is not greater than the other yeah. to me like hunting experiences are as long as it's meaning a lot to that person they have a sense of of gratitude and respect and it's not something that's just abused that experience is no greater or no less no matter what the scenario circumstance or where you are what state how many acres whether you shot it with a a crossbow or a rifle or a compound bow like or a ninja star or an well it's getting a little extreme but <laughs> um anyway so yeah i mean there's there's a lot to unpack there we can we can kind of talk about that a little more in episodes to come i don't want to bog down too much on it yep we're hour 37 in yeah i said we wrap it up wrap it up what uh well I don't even know what we just talked about. I don't, how do we come up with a title for this episode? I don't know. I mean, our first attempt at a podcast. Yeah. What's number two going to be about? I don't know. I guess we, I mean, we have the, uh, are we, are we saying the name of the lake in this episode? I don't know. All right. We'll just leave it ambiguous for now. Yeah. Maybe the, that the next podcast is just recapping that hunt. Yeah, and how we approach it and whatnot, and then we'll at at some point I think we hit the the uh, poacher situation. It'd be an interesting subject, um, especially because I know that that particular person will probably listen to it. Oh, hundred percent. But uh, hey, if he does, if you if you are listening, please, please don't. <laughs> There's so many things I could say right now, but please don't. I would love to just have you in and talk. Honestly, it'd be the honestly, best. Like, it'd be no, the best podcast we've ever done. It'd be it'd be awesome. I wouldn't say there's like hard feelings. It's more just like, wow, <laughs> it, it, dude. I would do it, and I would I would keep the the alias completely confidential. Yeah, it'd be it'd be the coolest conversation in the world, just because the the stories, stuff like that. I'm not I'm not condoning what he's you know, done. I mean, it's just, or like, what they've done rather. Just but. like the Prince of Poachers podcast, like shame on that guy. Well, I don't remember uh, something Beatty. Yeah. I don't remember that guy's name. Shame on him for what he did, but like he's got some crazy stories. Yeah. As an outlaw hunter. Yeah. Anyways, I think we talk about that. I think we, it'd be good to talk about like for people that want to start a hunting channel, kind of dive into like, how we started ours and what the, 
what to look for. Other than that, I don't know. Let's kind of figure it out as we go. We'll keep it open. I mean, stuff will spur up. Yep. So, anyways, I say we wrap it up, and that is officially our first podcast. Maybe we'll have Thomas on the next one. We'll see. Maybe. You got a, like, closing statement or something? Um, when life gives, gives you lemons? Oh, what was that saying? It was, uh... Get permission? I, I don't like it. I think we need a different one. Yeah, well, that was the one with Taylor. We said, when life gives you lemons, get hunting, go get hunting permission. But um, that's just the way my brain works, and I think it's funny. But the, uh, what the hell was it? It's something about, hold on one second. I got to look it up. Here we go. We're at an hour 40, 19. Hold on. Just keeping people on the hook, huh? Should I, should I plug some things while you're looking up the ah, thing? Ah, no. All right, I remember it now. Goats are like goats. I want to <laughs> I I iter, iterate. Literate? Iterate. I want to say this clearly. Because who's the person that says it says it so clearly. Goats are like mushrooms. When I shoot a duck, I'm afraid of toasters. We'll catch you next time. Okay. <laughs> catch you next time. Catch you next time. See 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 next time.